0: Because there was a particular time that God said to me, and I just know the Holy Spirit said, I'm putting these people in your charge. And I think the same thing with a church. And they even ought to be more so than we are as church leaders, and that is care about your people. And so that's why we pay $18.50 minimum above most people. That's why we close on Sundays. That's why we close it at, at eight o'clock and only open 66 hours a week as family really, really is important to us. And there's nothing in the church that you're doing that is more important than that family.
1: From the pages of Church Growth Magazine, helping church leaders implement their vision, this is the Church Growth Magazine podcast with your host, Brian Boyd. Welcome to Church Growth Magazine, the monthly digital publication to help church leaders implement vision and reach communities to fulfill the Great Commission. I'm your host, Brian Boyd. Thank you for joining us today. This is a great, great podcast. We have two very special guests with us today, and I'm going to get right into it because we have a short amount of time and a lot to cover. Um, Today we're joined by David Green and Bill High, uh, who are co-authors of a brand new book, Called Leadership Not by the Book. Let me tell you about Bill and David for a second, and then I'll have them say hi. Um, Bill uh, is the founder and chief executive officer of Vine Legacy. That's Vine, V-Y-N-E. And he also serves as the executive chairman and founder of the Syngatry, which is a global Christian foundation. Um, if you want to know more about Vine Legacy, you can visit vinelegacy.com. That's V-Y-N-E, legacy.com. And right next to him, is uh, David Green, who uh, founded Hobby Lobby in August of '72, with with uh, a very small 600 square feet, and currently, as of 2022, they employ 50,000 employees, thousand uh, locations, uh, opening f- I think 40 every year, and uh, and uh, David uh, and his family uh, are stewards of Hobby Lobby. Is that that's the correct terminology, David?
0: I believe that's correct. Yeah, that's All what right. we like.
1: And um, and David and and Bill worked together on the new book, uh, Leadership Not by the Book, which is available everywhere. You can buy a book on I guess August eighteenth. Excuse me, October eighteenth. And also, their podcast, the Leadership Not by the Book co- podcast, is available now, everywhere you can find your favorite podcast. So, anyway, welcome David and Bill to the Church Growth Magazine podcast. It's good Thanks to be very here much with you. Well, we're happy you're here. So. We want to talk about leadership and we want to talk about your book, but first I'd like to get to, to the main church of church, the main point of church growth magazine, which is church growth. So David, let me ask you this hobby lobby stores are huge and yet they're very warm and welcoming churches are not stores, but do have a top, but do you have a top 10 list of what makes people comfortable as they walk through the doors that could apply to churches as well? Like, how do we get people to have the same warm, welcoming feeling when they enter a church as they do entering one of your stores?
0: Yeah, I don't know that I've ever put that top 10 together, but I can certainly think of things that uh, I want to happen when someone comes into one of our stores. I think it's some of the same thing that you would want to happen as someone comes into the, your, your, your local church. And one of the things is, of course, just being clean and neat and orderly. You know, a church that is the grass is not cut. You know, you're looking at that and it needs to be painted. It's probably a church that's going down. And so you want to see something that looks good and some things are active in that church. So some of those things like that, we would think the same way in a business. We want to make sure people come in. We have great music, Christian music, that they can hear. The store looks great. People are friendly. They're greeted when they come into the st- stores, and that's what we feel like that probably I haven't made this comparison, but it seems like there is a lot of comparison there as far as what someone would want in a local church.
1: You know, part of what you do in your stores too, uh, David, is, is you work in the community. You have a lot of community that comes in. Bill, let me ask you this. Are there tactics of community outreach that a Hobby Lobby would employ today that a church should do to reach its own community?
2: You know, one of the things that I think Hobby Lobby has done really well is they they know their customer, they understand their customer. And so first and foremost, what I've always learned from David is they run a great store. Now, David says that they run one store about 900 times or 985 times, I think it is. And so if you make that place a great place, that's your first and foremost uh, community outreach as a great way to start.
1: Do you think churches do that today, David? You know, I think
0: uh, it surely varies. I certainly know churches that really are connected. Our local church is, we bring in people from the homeless shelters, we do, a lot of things that really wants to connect us to the the community, but I don't know that all churches do that by any means, but I really think it's good for us to reach out just as Christ would reach out. I believe he would reach out uh, to uh, those that are that are on the street, so to speak and so yeah uh, I, I, hopefully uh, we all do that I'm not sure that's the case
1: I think um there's definitely churches that are doing a great job of that, and, and, uh, and I think uh, it's good to see that happen. So, you know, pastors have degrees in theology, uh, Bill and David, and probably not in business, but they need a business sense to run this church. Are there basics of business that you think a pastor or a leader listening to this podcast should should go get? Is there, is there other education they should receive to do a better job of running their church?
0: Yeah, I think the thing that that we all should do is learn from one another, you know, what's working. Who Not that we're all going to do the same. I don't think God has called us to all be the same. But sometimes there are some same principles that will work in terms of business. Um, so I think it's important for us as a church leader to know what does work. And uh, that's what we do at Hobby Lobby. We're, we're in our competitor's place almost every week. What are they doing? And a lot of times, maybe there's nine out of 10 things we do better, but we're looking for that one place that they exceed us. And so we want to do what they're doing that that works for them. So I think it's really being committed to being the very, very best at what you can do. For us, it's to make money to give to missions, but to a church, it's to see people come to know Christ.
2: Yeah, bro. Brian, I'd like to jump in here a minute, because one of the things that you know that we host these leader events at Hobby right. Lobby with David and the family, and one of the themes, of course, in the book is this idea that God's the owner, you're not. The, the scriptures are really clear that God's the owner of everything. And that principle, by the way, would be easy just to interpret as something that applies to a business but it applies to the local church. In fact, we we had uh, some church leaders in here a while back, and one of the pastors came up to me and he said, man, I I never really thought about the fact that this was God's church, not mine. In fact, this guy had been a key part of building this church. And sometimes I think that it's even worse in the church world where we think, this this organization's mine, and that's why you see these succession fights and the inability for senior leaders to leave, because they think they own it. But if we're just the steward of a ministry, that is one of the first big breakthroughs. And then I think the other recognition is that when you realize you're just a steward, you develop a long-term mindset, and again, this is one of the principles in the book. It's the idea that, man, we want to build something that's going to last for 150 years. And those kind of mindsets cause you to put in place leadership structures that allow organizations to live beyond the founder.
1: Right. You know, in that leadership structure, Bill, a lot of churches depend on volunteers. Um, I've heard them. I've heard, I've heard other churches call them servant leaders, for instance. Um, so in essence, you're running an HR organization as well, right? Are there any, any, uh, tips with all the employees that both of you have had with your different companies over the years? What would you offer to the church leader to, to have a a supporting organization that, that works well?
0: You know, I think the most... Most important part here is for them to know that you really care about them. And that's what we do with our employees. And I think that's one of the reasons God has blessed us, because there was a particular time that God said to me, and I just know the Holy Spirit said, I'm putting these people in your charge. And I think the same thing with a church. And they even ought to be more so than we are as church leaders. And that is care about your people. And so that's why we pay $18.50 minimum above most people. That's why we close on Sundays. That's why we close it at eight o'clock and only open 66 hours a week is family really, really is important to us. And there's nothing in the church that you're doing that is more important than that family. So we want to make sure. In fact, we tell people and our leaders that, you know, the easiest thing for you to do is to be successful at your business or to be a successful pastor for that matter. That's the easiest thing. But the hardest thing is for you to have a great marriage. The hardest thing is for you to have children that love the Lord and serves the Lord. So we want to guide our people in such a way that they know we care about them. And that's the same thing we have to do the church and the employees. We have to care and they have to know we care about them. And that's not because we say so. That's because of all the things that we do to let them know we care.
2: Yeah, Brian, so, one of the things, let me jump in on that one, too, yeah. is I do want to say that in the ministry world, we've had a mindset that because you're in the ministry, you should pay less and receive less. And certainly we love the fact that people are passionate about their work. But man, just like David's trying to do here with people that are at minimum wage, eighteen fifty, to say, man, we want to encourage you with good fair compensation that is above and beyond because we care about you and we want to make sure that that compensation that starts to put you in a
1: place where you can take care of your family that's awesome it, it, now we're going to get into hard question we're going to talk about family a little more ready for this um so many churches that i've i've interviewed where i've talked to the pastors and so forth it's it's a family a lot of families are involved in churches you know maybe uh some of the families in the administrative office, some of the families on staff. Um, I suppose there's good, bad, and ugly of working with family, yet I think you've made it work, David. Um, Do you like working with your family?
0: (laughs) You know, you may be surprised. We have 44 people in our family. In other words, my three kids and their 10 kids married, there's eight of them. So that's 18. And then I've got grandkids, great grandkids. So there's 44 of us. In terms of our grandkids, there's only three of them working in the business. So I think family and how you handle family is can be can wreck what you're doing. Totally, totally, totally wreck it, and how you handle it. So we feel like uh, family should earn their position and that have the respect of everybody else in the business. And uh, they're there because they get respect. They work hard. They work as hard as anybody else. But if that's not the case and you bring family into a church or a business, you can just wreck the whole thing. People are not gonna support you because they feel like that you've done something just because someone's part of a family. So we've even seen universities where the, the son would follow the father and it just didn't work. You don't the, the people in church needs to know they don't own that church. I don't care where they started from the very beginning. We started from the very beginning, borrowing $600. We do not own Hobby Lobby. God owns Hobby Lobby, and we need to be very, very careful of how we position any family member. So we suggest our family to find what God would have for them. And sometimes it's not for them to be part of the Hobby Lobby, but what is God's will for your life. We do not encourage or discourage family coming into business. Although I can only, I say there's only three of 18 trees or grandkids that are part of this. But I think it's very. You got to be very, very, very careful when you bring family into a church and a business, and a church even more so than a business.
1: You uh, are there certain rules that you guys have applied in the Hobby Lobby corporate world that would work for, for a church or a ministry?
0: We actually have a document set up that says, this is how we're going to deal with family. You can't even come into this organization until you've worked two years outside of it. When you come in, there is a committee that says, this is what you make. If This is how you get fired as a family member. This is how you get promoted. A family member is seen as any other member that's out there and treated as such. There's no extra... Positive uh, things that they get that someone else get. And people have to see that. In fact, the family member needs to make sure they're working harder than anybody else to get that because people will see that person getting that job because they're family, and that will wreck anything. Nothing can work that way. People will not accept you bringing your family, and if that family is not the right person. So we want to make sure whoever, we have a couple Gen 3s, uh, which is our grandkids that are officers, but everybody would tell you they've earned the position and the family decides on their salary based on what they contribute. So part of our thought is you get what you earn. So we don't want anybody in the family getting something that they don't earn because the worst thing you
2: can do is to give something, some member of the family, something that they haven't earned. Yeah, Brian, I would underscore that as it's wise for any organization, for profit or nonprofit, to have a family employment policy that sets out the rules of the game by which family might join an organization. And like David mentioned, we often see that sometimes a founding pastor wants to make their son the successor, but that son or that child isn't wired with the same personality, the same gifts, so don't force it. Make the assumption that you want your kids to fulfill their calling, whatever it would be. If that is to follow, yes, if they're so equipped. But don't the David sometimes says that the right person is more important than family.
1: That's awesome. Um, let's switch gears slightly and talk about the role of church and business. Um, before we do that, I just want to remind our audience that we are uh, talking with Bill High and David Green, who are the co-authors of the uh, new book, Leadership, Not by the Book. And it has I've read the book. It's got 12 amazing chapters, and uh, we'll talk about that in just a minute. Um, Bill, when it comes to the church and business, is there a role that the church plays in in, in helping business owners, sea levels, not C levels, understand their place that they're also in the mission field too. I, I heard a, a businessman tell me one time, he was a Christian businessman out of India. He said, Brian, I'm a mercenary and a missionary. He told me, he said, his, he, he, he's a mercenary and that he runs his for-profit business, which does a certain job in India, but the profits of that go into missions work. So that's how he phrased it in India. But, uh, you know, what is the role of the church in business? Can they, can they work together?
2: Oh, absolutely. I think the, the, uh, the big key is for the church to recognize that David sometimes says it that he has an, an anointing for business, but it is to recognize the anointing of the business leader as, so sometimes we frankly hear this from the church world that the pastor's like, hey, you know, we've got the ministry here. You help us with our campaigns and just go keep doing your work. But it's the idea that that business leader has the same anointing as the pastor does and the opportunity to steward influence over people that is just as great. In fact, the, the business leader has those people for five days a week, you know, 40 plus hours. So that stewardship and the, the recognition of that is a huge opportunity at the same time it is to recognize that stewardship of influence in their generosity. So it's really the both and. And so when you give that business leader, that person in business, that recognition of their key role, man, it just becomes a great part partnership for how the gospel goes out, not only in that church, but in the community at large.
1: I know that uh, in my business world, I've had people come up to me and say, you're something different about you. There's something, I don't put a fish on my business card, uh, David and Bill, but but hopefully I run my business in a way where people see that there's something else about it. And then that opens up the opportunity to talk about faith. So um, maybe there's opportunities like that.
2: Yeah, I mean, David, they share the gospel here. I mean, uh, here at Hobby Lobby, they probably see as many people come to Christ sometimes as some churches do.
1: There you go.
0: Yeah, we actually witness to our co-managers that come in when they come in here. So we're not afraid of the gospel, and we're not—but right. we don't do it in such a way that we can get in legal trouble. We just say, this is who we are, and if you want to know this person that we know, the person that light died for you, then we do that. But— uh, I think, I think business, uh, you have to have a business savvy, uh, I think, to be a pastor because there's money involved and there's personnel involved and there's so much involved. But one of the keys, I think, is 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 sometimes you sense that someone thinks they own that ministry and they don't. If we can say by borrowing $600 and have a company that does $8 billion, that we don't own this and act that way, not just say it. But live that, then I think that the church world should even be ahead of us on that. I don't care if you started that business or that church or not. You do not own it, and you shouldn't treat it as you do. So uh, some people say, well, the businessmen give to give their kids and all this, and so we get to. Well, the really, the businessman shouldn't give anything away that belongs to God because the business belongs to God. And children that in that business should earn what they get, and the same thing should be true, even even more so. I think you have to be more careful, even in a church, than you do a business. But I think that I see a lot of times that things don't go well because the family is not necessarily respected for what they're
1: receiving. Hey, so let's talk about the book for a second. Um, how many? What what number book is this for you, David? This is our third book. Yeah. So yeah. You've always collaborated. Do you like collaborating with Bill? I know he's right next to you.
0: Yeah, Bill. Bill is sitting here and I wouldn't collaborate if without Bill because I am one of the world's best merchant. And by the way, that's because God gave me that talent. And I'm not arrogant in it. I'm arrogant for God who gave me that. But I'm not a book writer, so I thank God for Him to come alongside me and and help me uh, put some words together.
1: So, Bill, why now? What, where did what's the impetus for um, leadership not by the book, Brian? We've been doing over the years, past 10, 12 years,
2: been part of gathering leaders from all across the country who will come in six, eight times a year to be here at the Hobby Lobby headquarters, hear from David, the family, hear their story, their own journey of stewardship and generosity. We talk about family, legacy, and generosity. And as those people have come in, they hear the story, this incredible story of how they don't own the business, they pay eighteen fifty. they close on Sunday, they close at eight, they give away half of their profits. And they're like, there's no way in the world this should work. And yet it does. So they've asked us, write that book, tell us the principles by which you have operated. And just in my own experience and being around David, I've seen this guy live this out of, uh, the unconventional ideas like that doesn't make sense, but you're doing it and it works because you listen to God and obey Him, and in that the way how God works. Sometimes He asks us to cross the Red Sea
1: when it doesn't seem like there's a way, and that's how God works in our lives. So, David, as the reader goes through the book and they goes through the twelve chapters, are there one, two, three, five principles that you hope they come away with?
0: Yeah, I think so. I think I have uh, at least the first one for sure. And that is, and we've talked about it, but I don't know that I can say it enough. Is that we don't own anything that God says He owns everything, and so, and where we are in the church today, I think the majority of us are not really letting God own what we have. I think we say so, but we don't We don't actually do so. So I challenge everybody to say, okay, if He owns it, what it looks like. For us, it looks like we have nothing to give to our kids because it's not ours. We have nothing to give to our children. They get what they earn, but they they don't get the fruits. They get the fruits of their labor, but not the profits. We've never given a a distribution in our life, nor will we. So I think that's number one. And number two is prayer. I think prayer is so, so important to what we do and uh, that God bless us. And maybe first and foremost is your marriage and your family, if I had to even put some, some, something close. I was on a board on an environment where the evangelist had five kids, and he left them, and he was a superstar, he's an evangelist, he's got five kids, and I had to leave that because I just felt like his family and five kids was more important than saving the world. So family and marriage is so important. So I think that I hope I brought that in the in the uh, in the book as well. And then maybe, lastly, would be whatever God gives you to do. Uh, if it's pastoring a church, just do it the very best. Not to a point that I'm comfortable. And everything's smooth and it's nice. No, there's people out there that need to know the Lord. And how? what can you do to bring more people to Christ? And so whatever your hand finds to do, the Bible says, give it all you got.
2: How about you, Bill? Yeah, David hit on a lot of the key points. The one I wanted to underscore again, though, is particularly for church leaders, I think we assume that we're praying about the work in the same way that we may say that God's the owner of everything, but then we don't ever really do anything about it. But the idea of praying about every little thing that comes your way to truly say, God, we want you to speak into this. David sometimes calls it the idea of give God the vote. Put yourself in a position where God has to show up and then hear from God and then do that. Even if it doesn't make sense, again, particularly in the church world, because I think we assume that we're doing what God wants. We kind of think we're praying. But the idea for all the little things that you're facing in the day to day, and then when you do that, when you actually are hearing from God and obeying, you're going to end up in some unconventional places, things that don't always make sense. Don't just follow the playbook for church growth. What is God asking you to do?
1: So a year from now, what do you think is going to be the impact of this book? Do you think it's going to be measurable? Do you think there's a way to measure the success of the principles that come out of this book?
2: Yeah, one of the things I would say, again, David is has really reiterated this principle. We would love to see a whole generation of leaders who'd say – This business, this organization, this church really isn't mine. And literally where some of them have given up stock, some of them have given up rights that they might have otherwise had and say, we just put this in God's hands and we're going to see what happens. So that's one tangible, measurable result that we'd love to see. And then as a result, there would be a tidal wave of generosity around our country and out for the work of the gospel
1: around the globe. That's awesome. Well, I can't wait to read the sequel. When when will that be produced? I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Bill pushed me
0: on this one, you know. It was you gotta get this book out. And, and then I know I we, we had
2: it. a scoop. I thought we had a scoop here on the podcast. No, not, no. Today. <laughs> not today. Not, not today. Give yeah. me a chance to work on him here. He's just get to love these podcasts now, Brian. <laughs> yeah. There
1: you go. There you go. Well, the, um, I know you're doing a lot of, uh, interviews and you're talking to a lot of people about the book and it's, it can be a lot of tiring, very tiring. So we appreciate your time today. Uh, what's the one question that, that no one's asking you that you wish someone would ask? Is there a question like, why isn't anybody asking us about X?
0: Uh, you know, I, you would have to give that some thought because with these, um, meetings that we have. It's amazing. Everybody's asked me everything, but how much I make. And I don't answer that question. I don't know that I can help you there because there are a tremendous amount of questions and we just want to be open. I do my best to be open. Open in how many mistakes we've made and where we've gone wrong in the past because we've certainly made a lot of mistakes. But then also God has guided us in areas that hopefully that we can help others. So that's our goal is to see from this book a lot of people that will see what they have is not owning it and then using it for His glory instead of in many cases really messing up their family with the wealth.
1: Well, I can't agree with you more, uh, David and Bill, um, I was great. It was, I was very honored to get a pre-release copy and read through it. And, uh, it's a, it's a, it's a great read. It's an easy read, but you come away with solid items that you remember and you can apply in your business life. So, uh, it's great leadership, not by the book, uh, the new book by Bill high and David green it's available everywhere you get your books on October 18th, 2022. Uh, They also have a companion podcast that's currently live and it's a 12-episode podcast that supports the book but has lots of back back inside information in it. And that's available everywhere you get your podcast. Um, David, Bill, thank you for taking time with us today and talking to uh, Church Growth Magazine.
0: Very good. Thank
1: you. Thank you. For Church Growth Magazine, uh, I'm Brian Boyd. Thank you for listening, and please subscribe and tell a friend. You've been listening to Church Growth Magazine podcast here on your podcast network.